eternal life. And in our passage today, I'm going to read you a, a summary. A lot of scholars think this, these five verses are a summary of what the entire book is about. And we're going to talk this morning about, about uh, authentic faith and how that manifests itself in your life. And so this is God's word to you today. This is from 1 John 5 verses 1 through 5. It says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So one of the things that uh, I have wanted to do ever since I've been here uh, over the past four years is that what I, what I really want for you all, what I want for myself, is that in the midst of a busy world, uh, in the midst of all that we uh, say and do, it's very hard to listen to God uh, in the quiet and stillness of your life. And so... What I like to do before I preach is to spend some moments in silence, and I want you to pray with me. You pray silently, I'll pray with the mic, but I don't want you to disengage your heart or your mind now. I want you to actually ask God to show up to you. Um, I want you to ask God in the stillness as we sit together for a few moments in silence that he would make himself known to you in the person of Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how the Trinity works uh, in our hearts. And so um, sit with me in stillness and let's ask that together. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, would you come in fresh ways to us now? Would you, uh, by your Spirit, enliven us and teach us what it means that Jesus is the Christ? And I ask for all in here 
who are, are staring into things that they don't understand, which is all of us to a certain extent. Um, whether we face uh, sadness or, or death, whether we're exuberant with joy and don't know what to do with that, um, we ask, Lord, that you would meet us in this holy act of opening your word. It is enough that it's been read. And so, Lord, would you bless it? Would you bless the reading and, and teaching of, of your word to your people? And I know that you will because you love your people. And so would you come now um, and let us be gifts to one another. Uh, let us hear uh, from, from your word today. In Christ's name, amen. So there are categories of people that John is writing to in this letter. And one of the categories of people within this congregation are those who are doubting whether they have eternal life. And he's saying to them, you do have eternal life. And this is how you know that you have eternal life. And he gives three tests throughout the letter of the manifestations of what we would call authentic faith in, in Christ. And he says, you can tell if your faith is authentic, if you have love for other people, specifically love for people in the church, um, if you are obedient to God's commandments, if you keep his commandments, and if you have true doctrine about who Jesus is. John has been saying throughout his letter, kind of repeatedly, like an old person typically does, he repeats himself over and over again. Uh, he does it here again in summary, and he says, this is what it means to believe in God. This is how it shows itself up in your life. Now, as I have tried to listen to people, not only here in the Midwest, but down south, when, when people say, I really want to have faith, or I have faith in something, Typically, what they mean, and uh, I, think, I think this is right, uh, is people are thinking, I want to be sure that I have lived my life with actual integrity because of my convictions. Um, and so they are people of integrity. I'll never forget when I was in college, my roommate became the punter of our school, Georgia Southern University. And he was, uh, he was a decent punter in high school, but not good enough to get like a scholarship. And it was a long shot for him to make the team. But he decided to try out. And when he tried out, he, he said, and I quote, I had the best day of punting I've ever had in my life. And he became one of the best punters in, in Georgia Southern history. And I remember sitting in the dorm and asking him, uh, Daniel, why, like, why did you decide to go out against like all odds? And he said, he said, I never wanted to uh, give up on myself. I, I wanted to put myself out there. And if I had not tried out, I would have lived with regret for my entire life of not stepping out on that ledge. Now, I think that's what most people mean when they use the word faith. That this person is committed to their aspirations. They're, they're committed to their goals and they pursue their goals and they pursue what, what they're convicted in despite all odds. And they go for it. Striving for excellence, putting yourself out there is a good and commendable way to live. But here's what I want you to hear me clearly say at the out front. It's, that's not Christianity. 
That's not what it means when, when the Bible says you must have faith. When it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it is fundamentally looking to something outside and away from yourself. It is about receiving something, not achieving something from within. And what John has been saying all along is that when you have this faith, how it, how it transforms you is that it changes how you interact with other people, it changes how you live your personal life, and it changes what you say you believe in. Those are the manifestations of authentic faith. And so I want to look at three things as we think about faith this morning. We're going to kind of weave in and out of these points, but we're going to look at the evidence of faith, the ease of faith, and the end of faith. Okay, so the evidence of faith and I basically, I could have stayed in the first half of verse 1 all morning uh, because I think it's so good. This is what verse 1a says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. How do you believe in God? Christianity starts by centering belief in the God who claims to have revealed himself in human form, and that's the Christ. Now, this is very easy to miss, but faith is a, is a windshield, okay? You don't have faith in your faith. You don't even have faith in what your faith looks like. But Christianity says you must have faith in something that is outside of you, in someone that is outside of you. The old timers, the old Puritans would call this something alien, an alien righteousness. And so one of my favorite writers on this topic is named Horatius Bonar. His, uh, his hymns are incredible. He says this, the great manifestation of self-righteousness or pride, this is Incredible. The, the great manifestation of self-righteousness is the struggle to believe. Believing is not a work, but a ceasing from work. And this struggle to believe is just the sinner's attempt to make a work out of that which is no work at all. To make a labor out of that which is a resting from labor. What he's saying is that you know that you've misunderstood the gospel when you are struggling to believe it. Jesus himself said the same thing. In John 6, he created, he created all this bread for people, like thousands of people. And he perceived that they were going to try to make him a king by force. And that word king is very important. And so they can't find him. And so they go, they go looking for him and, and they have a question for him. They're like, Jesus, what can we be do, doing to, to be doing the works of God? And he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom God has sent. Back to 1 John. Every, please take this in. Meditate on it with me. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That means that you're a different type of person. You've been born from above. You are of the Spirit. If I ask the average Nebraskan to explain to me the gospel, you would most likely tell me that you are a sinner 
and that God has saved you from your sin because Jesus died on the cross. And that is true. And that is good news. But if you asked someone in the first century, the apostle, what is the gospel? What is the announcement of the good news of the world? They would say that Jesus is the Christ. That he's the king. That he's the Messiah. And so what did that mean? Here's what John is saying. In order to be assured that you have eternal life, you must see how Jesus, the Christ, is connected to the whole story of the Bible, but also the whole story of the world. That it all centers in him. And what you'll begin to see in Scripture is that people's lives aren't just about what happens to them or or what they do, but their very identity in the world is tied into what God has done since its foundation and what he continues to do. Meaning, the Scriptures aren't just about random rules, but it's a commentary on all of existence. It's an explanation of why we're all here. And it's a love story that God loved it so much that he came into it. And that you're a part of it if you want to be. And that it all centers on Jesus, the Christ. And the evidence of your faith is when your identity gets so wrapped up into the king, gets so wrapped up into Christ that you don't even know how to talk about yourself without pointing to him. Very even fun, fundamental foundational questions about if I asked you, who, who are you? And you begin to answer that in light of who he is. That's what it means to have faith in him. That you don't know who you are without him. That's why the Old Testament's important. Uh, because it's your story too. There's a great rich history in the African-American church where the theme of the Exodus occurs again and again and again in their songs, in their sermons, in their prayers. And it's because they saw their lives, their own lives, in light of Israel's history. And here's, here's the key. They, they let the scriptures interpret their lives. Not the other way around. That when you read, when you read the Bible... You, you begin to see that's, that's actually my story. This is the point of me. Um, let's dig deeper. Uh, I've recently gotten into the world of mulching. And uh, I'm going to like, it's a crazy world out there. You know, mulch, Scott's brown mulch. Um, I initially got like 20 bags. And, you know, the thing about mulching is that you can always buy a little more, right? You, you walk around your flower garden, you see a bald spot. You're like, I got to go back to the store. And so, like, this started about two and a half weeks ago. And Sarah has given me that look like, hey, look, I love you. But when is this going to stop, you know? Um, and I have gone back like three or four times each time trying to get more and more and more mulch so that it looks nice and fresh. But what if... The previous owner of our house called me and said, hey, is there still like an overgrown flower bed in the front of the home? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, there used to be before before the mulch. And he said, well, I want you to know something. I, about 50, 60 years ago, this is during the time of like the Cold War. I was kind of a prepper. 
And I thought the world was going to end. And so I buried a, a bunch of gold under that flower bed. And I don't have any heirs. And it's, it's yours. It's worth millions now. Um, and I let the weeds grow so that no one would suspect anything was underneath the ground. Um, when the first hearers of the gospel heard the phrase, Jesus is the Christ. It was confusing because, you know, Jesus was from a place called Nazareth. And he was killed by a country called Rome. And he hung on a crucified piece of wood. Uh, He was buried under so much that looked ugly and and meaningless. And here's what I want you to to really take into your own life. Um, Just like your own faith which you may not even know is there right now. Jesus waits to be discovered by you in this very moment. And he can be discovered by anyone at any time in deeper ways. And all you, might, you don't even have to be literate to understand the Bible. God God loved the world so much that he came into it. All you must do is look away from yourself to someone who claims to be the king of the world, God in the flesh, who who claims to be the son of God, and he has vested interest in you and everything that you know. And he's always at work. There was a certain group in this church. um, They later became this uh, sort of belief system called Gnosticism. But they were saying, like, you had to have this super special, rigorous uh, knowledge of God in order to be like a legit follower of God. And John, what he's been doing the whole letter, because he's a good pastor, he's saying, no, no, that's not right. You have to have one thing to know that you have eternal life, that your whole existence must be centered on the Christ. That's the gold. All, all this other stuff, all the other stuff in our lives is like either mulch or weeds. That's the first point that John's making in our passage. That the evidence lies in the centrality of Jesus' kingship to your identity. And he's invited you to partake of that goodness. The surface of your life, the hard work, the covering up that we all do is like mulch. And, and it never ends. And the evidence that you found Christ is when you stop mulching and you start digging. Okay, enough with the metaphors. What does that mean? When you're young, uh, you typically think that relationships are going to be the key thing that make you happy. It's going to be like the answer to uh, your life's problems. It's going to make you feel complete. It's what you treat as the Christ. In your life. That's that's the goal. Now, when you get older, you tend to think that gold is actually career or vocation or comfort or autonomy. Uh, I remember when I first uh, wanted to get married, I, I remember asking God, like, God, can you please just let me find a Christian woman who's like a little indie, you know, indie is what we called hipsters before hipsters became a thing. And so I don't know what the next, you know, nonconformist is going to be for Gen Z. So I need to come up with something else. But uh, basically, uh, I, I wanted to find somebody like Sarah. 
And God ended up giving me uh, my idol. And after about a week or two, I realized that she could not live up to what I needed her to be for me. She couldn't be my Christ. I don't know why you couldn't live under that pressure. But, um, you know, what... What's so great about when God gives you over to your idol is that you realize that they aren't him and that they never could be. And you either go searching for it in other things, which we typically do, or you actually grow closer to the king because you grow dissatisfied with what your heart does with false Christ. Now, uh, Colossians 1.13 says, We have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and transform, transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son. John Stott says, The spell, when this happens, the spell of the old life has been broken and the fascination of this world has lost its appeal. Whatever it is that you've deified begins to lose its appeal when you believe in Jesus as the Christ. When you believe in Jesus, it's letting go of lesser objects and grabbing on to a more beautiful, lasting object. Now, what, what is it? So think about your own life. What is it in your life that you are treating like a Christ? What is it that, that you think is the gold? Um, my guess is, is that you know. And if you don't know and you want to know, just ask those who are close to you and they probably know. But what would it look like? This is what it means to stop mulching and start going in a different direction. What would it look like to give that false Christ up and, and head towards the king? Not only with like your particular actions, but with your personality. With the demeanor in which you move through this world and interact with other people. That's the first point. The evidence of faith is that you believe that Jesus is your Christ. And that he's altered every last thing about you. That you become born from above. A person of the spirit. That's the evidence of faith. Point two, the ease of faith. Verse three says... For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And you may sit here and think when you hear that his commandments are not burdensome. You're like, well, I've read the Bible. I've read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you look at somebody with lust, you've committed adultery with them. Or be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That doesn't sound uh, light or easy to me. And I, I want to talk about the three main reactions to when we hear God's command, when we hear uh, the rules he's placed on us as, as human beings. And the first reaction I'm going to call the religious reaction. And this reaction says, basically, when you hear God's commands, you say, well, I, I'm going to get to it. I, I got to do it. I got to stop doing negative things and I, I need to stop sleeping around. I need to stop overindulging. I need to honor God with my job, with my studies. And I just got to do better. I got to get to it. Now, if that's your reaction, two things happen. Um, you either grow in contempt of yourself or contempt of other people. And you know you're this type of person is 
if when when you let somebody down, you just have a hard time. Like it, it's almost like you can't even handle it. Or when you fail in some way, you can't bring yourself to enjoy being around other people or enjoy God's presence because you feel disgusting. You don't feel good enough to be in community. And so you're always down on yourself. And when this is your reaction, it's indicative of the fact that you had faith in yourself, not in something outside of yourself. And so you beat yourself up. You treat yourself with self-contempt. But sometimes that contempt gets faced outward towards other people. And you know this is happening when you are very impatient with other people's brokenness. If you think of yourself as one of the one of the few that is always having to be faithful, one of the few that actually shows up. And it manifests itself in our lives when we're kind of constantly frustrated and irritated. Constant irritation means that you haven't come to the realization that God's commandments are light and that you're doing his commandments just because you love them. If that was the motivation, you wouldn't be irritated. You wouldn't be treating yourself with contempt or other people with contempt. So that's, what, that's how you know if, if you're responding to God's commands, uh, not out of love, but because you feel like you, you have to. The second reaction is what I would call the the worldly reaction or the secular reaction. The world looks at God's standards and says, if God God actually knew what he was talking about the Bible, um, he would have made it a little bit easier on first, you know, 21st century years. Right? The modern person looks at God and says, you don't tell me how to live or what to think or who I am. And unfortunately, uh, we modern people have to immediately, once we do that, once we, we think freedom is just, you know, throwing away all outside standards. But the moment we do that, we have to craft an identity for ourselves that we live underneath so that we can have a purpose in waking up. And then we find that we are always running and running after stuff that we may even have. For example... You know, uh, Madonna, Madonna says this. I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it to discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. My drive in life is from this horrible feeling of being mediocre And that's always pushing me. And then she says this. It's pushing me because even though I have become somebody, and she made it to the top, even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. The mulch never ends. And it's because, this is is the sad part about where we are in modern culture. Um... We are brutal on ourselves. When we have to craft our own identities, when we have to prove that we're somebody, we become terrible to ourselves and to other people. We are horrible taskmasters for ourselves. Um, This is why as you get older, you do stuff like bird watching. Because old old people, they've stopped trying to prove themselves and they've opened their eyes up to what's been in front of them all along. And they enjoy what's in front of them. 
There's another way uh, to live when you hear that God's commandments are not burdensome. Um, And this is my favorite one and one that I would commend to you is to joyfully obey them. The announcement of the lordship of Jesus into the world is a call to repent and to believe to all people everywhere at all times. The religious, the irreligious, the left and the right, the traditional and the modern, the gospel does not call you to be moderate or in the middle. The gospel calls you to a higher truth than any traditional person claims. And the gospel calls you to a deeper love than any modern person can express. And the reason why is because you belong to a different kingdom. You belong to a different world. And when you believe that, your faith overcomes this one. Do you know that that's what you're engaged in? That you you follow a king that wants to give you his victory over the infestation of what this world has done to your heart and to his beautiful world. And when you have faith in him, you overcome it. You overcome the wickedness. When Jesus becomes the most valuable thing to your heart, you do his commandments because it makes you happy. The world's ethics seem light at first, but they eventually become completely unbearable and impossible, just like Madonna said. But God's ways seem impossibly hard at first, but in the end, what you realize is that it's what you're after all along. This is the good life. This is what I was after in all my idols. This is what I was after even in running away from God. For someone of royalty to to tell me, you belong. And not only do you belong in my kingdom, but I've given you a task that you are perfectly created to do. And you'll do great. And you are a gift to the people that you're around. And, And you are called to take that honor and that blessing and bestow it on other people. To move towards them in confidence and love. Not in shame and fear. This is the ease of God's ethics. This is when, when you see this about, about Jesus, uh, you don't think of his commands like, oh, I, got, I, got, I got to do this. You're like, no, I, I have energy to do it. I want to do it. It's my reason for waking up. Like, I want to be a part of this kingdom because he's a, he's a king that is looking out for me and he's good. That's what repentance is. It's like, it's like energetic, like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Not, uh, I got to do this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace where a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. When I was in, a, when I was in seminary, I took a class that would prepare me to stand before other pastors and get ordained as a Presbyterian minister. We had to learn this thing called the Shorter Catechism. And that was uh, my favorite answer and question. What is repentance unto life? And my professor, he was about 90. 
um, he was the one that taught the class and he took us in his office and gave us like a mock test before we sat in front of the presbytery and he asked me that question. So what's repentance unto life? And I answered it in that way. And as I was spouting off the answer from memory, uh, his demeanor and response to that answer changed, changed, it changed my life because he, he like started moaning. He was so moved by what the words meant as I was thoughtlessly rattling them off. And I sat there and thought, you know, this man has been alive and believed in God about four times as long as I've been alive. And it was clear that repentance for him wasn't something to dread. But it was a privilege, something he got to do, not something he had to do. And I think that that's how you know if you're beginning to believe in God, when you start to realize that his his commands are not they're not heavy. They're not nearly as heavy as the commands and demands I place on myself or other people. And it becomes your delight to listen, to obey, to serve. Because he's more kind to you than you are to yourself. That is the faith that overcomes the world. That's what I think my, prof- my professor had, and I can see it in his demeanor. And that's the faith that can push you to love other people, specifically other people in the church, love the brothers and sisters, to keep his commandments, and to believe in Jesus. We're going to spend one more week in this series next, uh, next week. We're going to have a guest preacher after that, and then we're going to start in on a series through the book of Ephesians um, in August. And so I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to come to the table after we confess. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we see the evidence, ease, and end of our faith. And that he's the gold. He's the gold that's been buried underneath all of our hard work, all of our efforts, all of our trying, all of our striving. And that if we would just rest... And you will bring us to that rest. Um, We would see what we've had all along, which is you. That you love the world so much and you give us so much space to wrestle it out. And you don't beat us up over not figuring it out faster. But you've quietly, patiently been waiting on us to discover you. And so, Lord, I, I ask for each of us today that we would do that this morning.
Love because you first loved us. We wanna love like you.